0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you
1: have, the smoother your weld is.
0: Learn more at Meta.com slash Metaverse Impact. Put knowledge to work and grow your business with CIT. From transportation to healthcare to manufacturing, CIT offers commercial lending, leasing, and treasury management services for small and middle market businesses. Learn more at CIT.com. Put knowledge to work.
1: Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's weekly podcast devoted to mergers and acquisitions and the multi-trillion dollar industry of deals. Last year, I think we had $4 trillion in deals, so it's a pretty hectic place. Anyway, I am your host, your substitute host, actually, Jeffrey McCracken, managing editor of Bloomberg's Global Deals Coverage. I am filling in for Alex Sherman, our crack M&A reporter. Typically, it's Alex smooth voice who's manning the microphone as we chat with bankers, lawyers, flax, M&A heads, and the occasional M&A reporter. Alex, however, is out for a couple weeks after his wife finally delivered baby number two around 6.30 a.m. this morning. He is a boy, by the way, name still to be determined. Our guest in the second half of the show is Tom Burnett. He's a vice chairman and director of research at Wall Street Access. He specializes in teaching traders how to trade, how to analyze market data, and the space of arbitrage community. That's a big part of the M and A world, so it should be an interesting conversation. Alex recorded the interview yesterday before baby number two arrived, so that will explain the shift in moderators. Anyway, today I'm glad to have another one of our ace M and A reporters at Hammond, our resident Brit and long distance bike rider. Ed, any long rides this past weekend?
2: Uh, a couple it was the first race of the season on saturday so that was a reasonably long ride but but, but just a very fast and and fairly unpleasant ride and then uh, uh, a nice long ride on sunday because it is finally starting to turn to spring so a nice ride upstate on sunday afternoon
1: I'm expecting you to call in sick in the next couple of days since it's supposed to be 70 something Yeah, it's days. odd. I'm
2: already starting to feel a bit weird. I've got this chill and my eyes are itching and I've got a bit of a scratchy throat. So I think it's yeah, very, very possible I'll be off for, well, probably the rest of the week, actually.
1: Yeah, you and I might might have the same thing. So yeah. uh, a lot I'll, going uh, around. You'll see me. Anyway, we have Add on today to discuss a deal, actually a potential deal, regarding German chemical giant BASF in its exploration of a bid for the U.S. agri-chem company that everyone knows, DuPont. Now, the Wilmington-Delaware company, DuPont, announced back in December it was going to merge with Dow, which was one of the year's biggest deals. However, Ed, on Friday, with uh, our team in London, a gentleman named a nationaire, and uh, one of our reporters in New York, Matt Monks, broke that BASF, months after the deal was announced, was still exploring a bid and working with banks to see if it was feasible. First of all, congrats, Ed. Nice story. Thank you. So, I'm curious... How did the market react to the news when you walked in Monday? Besides the normal pop in DuPont shares, how did the analysts, what did they think of the deal? Did they think it was smart? Did they think it was something that could or should happen?
2: So I just want to pick up what you said, uh, a possible deal. I think we could probably say an unlikely deal. And I think the analysts have been very quick to point this out. I think this is uh, indeed what we reported. BASF is looking at this. They've asked bankers to work with them on sort of exploring how a bid could work, how they could structure it. And I think... Um, I've also, as part of that, talked to financing banks. Um, The market did not react particularly well. BASF's shares traded off slightly on the news, and obviously, as you mentioned, DuPont's shares traded up quite substantially. Uh, The analysts have been very skeptical. I think there were a lot of questions about really what uh, the German company could do that would really represent a materially better bid To Dow's offer. And at this point, it would have to be that because, you know, these two companies, Dow and DuPont, they're fairly far down the road. They've had a very public dialogue about, you know, the strategic benefits of this deal. The market likes it. The shareholders liked it. The activists in the stock who have been beating up on the companies for ages, they like it. So for the Germans to bust it up, they would have to come in and really, you know, blow the lights out with an offer. And I just think that's going to be very hard for them to do. On top of that, there's a billion nine in breakup fees that they would have to pay if they're even gonna get this thing to the table.
1: The fact that they're still exploring it almost three months later shows there is a lot of strategic rationale. So even if they don't go ahead and do the deal, it's clear, and I think it was worth reporting the story, to let the market know the BASF is feeling like they've missed some of the better opportunities out there. This deal, obviously, and then before that, Syngenta was sold for, what was it, 43 billion to China. So BASF is probably looking around, wondering how it's gonna play in this consolidation phase.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And and look, I think we did have to report it. I think sometimes the facts do not necessarily represent a deal that's going to get done and going to get announced tomorrow. Obviously, it'd be nice if all the deals we reported then got announced the next day and everything was, you know, straightforward and tied up. But I think sometimes that's not the case. And this was one of those examples and what we were able to ascertain through sort of fairly extensive reporting between the teams here and in Europe was that they were looking at this, they were seriously looking at this. They had mandated uh, at least two banks to help them study the merits of doing this. And I think that in itself is interesting. And, And to kind of go to your point on... You know, why are they doing this? And I guess, you know, having seen Syngenta do, as you said, its deal with ChemChina, now watching two other big rivals get together. Monsanto has obviously been out there trying to buy Syngenta historically as well. So everyone else has kind of got their MA hat on. And I, I actually think uh, BASF is, there's a little bit of FOMO here. There's a little bit of, you know, they do not want to be left on the sidelines of this MA wave. And so you know what? They are looking at all of the possible things they can do. And perhaps they feel at the moment the one they would like to do most, if indeed it is possible, is a run at DuPont.
1: And it would be, as I recall from the analyst reports I read, it would be a 70 plus billion dollar deal, which is sizable, and, and sizable for BASF, whose market cap is, I believe, around 60, 63 billion. So they would have to borrow more money or put more money in stock in the deal than the value of, of their own company right now.
2: Yep, they would, and you know, I suppose to, to sort of boil that down, what you're saying is that it would be a stretch for them to do this and i think that's true and i think normally we would kind of use that as a reason to discount the likelihood of this
1: going ahead does basf feel some regret for missing out on the dow dupont deal and the syngenta uh, acquisition or a potential syngenta acquisition i think
2: regret is an interesting concept for, for a company corporate regret i think perhaps they feel as though they should be involved in this wave and that they If everyone else gets their deals through, let's bear in mind, there's no guarantee that these deals will go through. But if these deals go through, they may feel that, hold on, we are now a much smaller player surrounded by much bigger players and therefore perhaps have lost some of our strategic edge in this space. So I think they are disappointed, perhaps, that they haven't been able to find a deal that suits them in this market. And I think we will continue to see them out there looking for things. But they've said very publicly, right? The I think the chief executive, or the chairman of the company in an interview with one of our rival news organizations recently said, you know, don't do not expect to see any exciting M&A from us. So, you know, that may just be them sort of singing the note of caution where actually they're they're working on bigger deals, but that may be that they they'd sit this
1: one out. It's a sensitive question and we get news on deals for many different reasons at many different times. But why do you think the BASF news leaked out this past weekend i know we were chasing it for days maybe even more than a week why do you think this this got out
2: Yeah, I I had a similar question from Sherman a couple of weeks ago, this sort of hot potato question, and the palms of my hands are still charred from that. I'm not sure there is an obvious reason for why it came out now. I think, as you say, we've been chasing this for a while. I think other people have also been chasing this particular tip for a while. And it's kind of, it's an obvious tip, right? There are not that many big companies in this space. There are lots of big companies, or at least four big companies, sorry, getting together. And there's one big company who's kind of sitting on the sidelines. So it makes sense they'd be looking in and, and trying to assess their options. I think it's possible that it was just a question of time, you know, as they look at this thing more seriously, they've obviously surrounded themselves with more advisors, more financing banks, probably more market sources have picked up on it, and I think once that happens, and this is not dissimilar to how I answered the question last time, so I apologise if I'm just going over all grounds, I think once you bring more people into the tent, inevitably the chance of a leak goes up exponentially, and I suspect that is what happened here. Thankfully. Thankfully for us, indeed.
1: <laughs> indeed. Well, Ed, I think that's about all the time we have. Happy cycling. Thank you. Hope you get some miles in Well, if weekend. I
2: feel as ill as I do at the moment, it's going to be very difficult. But Un- yeah,
1: Understood. <laughs> Thanks again for the insight. Appreciate your time. Up next, Alex Sherman. He's interviewing Tom Burnett, Vice Chairman and Director of Research at Wall Street Access. Tom specializes in teaching traders how to analyze and how to trade on market data and on the risk arbitrage space, which has a big part and plays a big role in the m and world, especially on hostile deals. But first... A word from our sponsor.
0: Put knowledge to work and grow your business with CIT. From transportation to healthcare to manufacturing, CIT offers commercial lending, leasing, and treasury management services for small and middle market businesses. Learn more at CIT.com. Put knowledge to work.
3: Okay, I want to introduce Tom Burnett, Vice Chairman and Director of Research at Wall Street Access. We haven't spent much time on this show talking about how to make money from M&A. So that's today's topic. Tom and his firm provide analysis to hedge funds and merger arbitrage funds on their opinions on M&A, specifically about whether or not deals will actually be completed when they are announced. Hi, Tom. Welcome to Deal of the Week.
4: Alex, thank you for having us.
3: So let's start talking a little bit about exactly what your firm does and what you do for the audience that isn't all that familiar with what merger arbitrage strategy is exactly.
4: We try and develop a dialogue with the clients. They, they call us as soon as a transaction is announced, or very often they're working on a transaction that may be under the normal radar screen. They use us as a sounding board. What do you think of this? What kind of strategy would you employ? It's, it's a tailored kind of research. In other words, it's not a one-size fits all where we send out a single report to 50 people. Uh, The analysis is targeted. Many of our clients are only interested in talking to us about a certain transaction that perhaps has additional regulatory difficulties that uh, they think we can help them uh, steer through. So uh, again, it's not the fundamental research. We don't have target prices. We really don't have buy-sell. We have Deal good, deal bad, watch out for this, could be another bidder out there. Take a look at the environment, who's next, what other companies are vulnerable in this particular industry. So it's a broad range, very deep on a single deal, but a very broad range of industry coverage.
3: You know, again, for people that aren't all that familiar with the the basic crux of this is that just as if you can invest in stocks or bonds, you can go long or short. There is an investment strategy out there for people that look at deals where the idea here is when a deal is announced or perhaps broken by Bloomberg, there are certain funds out there that want to take the time to understand from the point of announcement to the date of completion whether or not the deal will go through. And the stocks will typically trade under the announced price because there's some degree of regulatory risk about whether or not these deals actually get completed at the price that they are Announced at. And so that's when they turn to firms such as Tom's to get insight into uh, what the exact regulatory risks for a certain deal are. So, Tom, how do you do this?
4: Well, I, I think you've really stolen my thunder because that's exactly how we sell ourselves. But I guess the answer to that is we perform detailed research by calling around to trade associations. Uh, We get very little input from the companies. They're pretty much on lockdown after the merger's been announced. But we call competitors, we call suppliers, we call customers. We try to build up a what is this industry all about picture. And then within that picture, we say, wow, this is a fragmented industry. There's no dominant player. Things should go through lickety-split, maybe a couple of headlines here and there. But at the end of the day, we're comfortable. Or you have a situation like Office Depot and Staples where you had a major head fake. When Office Depot bought Office Max two years ago, the FTC put out a three-page summary of why we didn't block it. All the reasons why, oh, it's a very competitive industry now. And when we blocked uh, Office Depot and Staples 10 years ago, we didn't have all these other Amazons and competitors. That was a head fake. People read that as, oh, well, Staples can buy Office Depot now. To our credit, uh, and we miss a lot, too. We're not perfect. We, from the get-go, said this uh, area of commercial, corporate, enterprise, hospitals, uh, where you're making large purchases and you're negotiating, there just weren't very many people to go to. Amazon wasn't a player in that market yet. So we felt pretty much from the beginning, uh, and we're quite proud of our work there, that Office Depot and Staples would have FTC problems. And it turns out they have problems in Canada. They have problems in the EU, which they just resolved but they got sued and the deals being opposed by the FTC we're in court. We're going to have a hearing starting in uh, late March. And that deal is traded to a huge spread, a $4 spread on a $5 stock. But I I think what I want to convey to you is that M&A is dynamic. And so, yeah, we predicted it and we were right and that's great. But now Office Depot trading down to five bucks is probably worth five bucks on its own. So, were more of a don't sell it, or maybe you want to buy it, or maybe you want to buy some call options, or maybe you want to buy Office Depot and sell some calls against it, because we still think the deal fails. But it might go through. They might work something out that the judge can live with. There could be some kind of compromise settlement like there was in Europe. And then you got bang, you got four points of upside. And in our opinion, they're getting a breakup fee that's worth about 50 cents a share to Office Depot. The Upside downside, the risk reward ratio has now flipped. It's four bucks up, maybe 50 cents to a buck down, and you could get a settlement in there that uh, leads to a big pop. So, it, I think what I wanted to just, and you're aware of this obviously, it's a dynamic game of risk reward analysis. Every day, the risk reward changes. We have to be in the middle of it, and our view can change based on the stock price. A deal we hate could still be attractive if the risk-reward ratio flips to where you make so much if it goes through versus what you could lose. So we're constantly monitoring. We're in front of the terminal. (laughs)
3: Thank you. Pay my salary.
4: But it's the dynamic nature of merger arbitrage trading that I, I – this is not a set-it-and-forget-it kind of trading rationale.
3: So your firm provides analysis to firms that are actually placing bets on this, but, but your firm itself does not
4: – We do not take positions in any of the names. Absolutely true. We are a market maker in 2,500 stocks, and we may have a, a, an odd customer-driven trade that comes into us. Uh, in a name. I'm not aware of it. If, if we do, I'm not involved. I think it's very important to understand that that's, that's really done off on, on the side, not driven by the research.
3: And was this sort of a business model decision of yours? Because I would imagine there's got to be at least a part of you and other people at your firm that think, look, if we're such experts in this, why not just bet our own money
4: on this? Well, we started uh, the, the merger effort uh, at Wall Street Access um, all the way back in the late 90s. And I think the model we had was the correct model in that we did not want to be tainted with positions which could affect our opinion. We wanted to be able to say we hate this deal or suddenly the risk reward shifts and we like it. And then do we sell first if we have a position on the firm's books? And then do we go out and tell the customers about it? It just creates so many conflicts Conflicts. that we just said no way. So we are research driven That's our model.
3: So you mentioned Staples, Office Depot, a deal you are proud of, and you alluded to the fact that you're not always right. Is there one deal that sort of comes to mind where, look, you know, for whatever reason, like the deal just went in a different direction than you? Well,
4: I, I, you know, I'm going to do a mea culpa on this Baker Hughes and Halliburton. We concluded about six months into the, the announcement of the transaction that Halliburton was fully committed to a major. Block of divested assets from both companies, which would have yielded uh, up to seven and a half billion of 2013 revenue. We felt that was enough. We also felt that Halliburton is motivated to do it because the industry is collapsing and they need that two billion a year in EBITDA synergies that they were claiming the merger would generate for them. In addition, they didn't want to pay the three and a half billion dollar breakup fee, It'd be left with nothing. So we have been. Um, unfortunately, bullish on the ability of those companies to win approval. And they are stuck. They're stuck in the DOJ. They're stuck in Australia. They're stuck in the EU. And frankly, uh, we're not getting much dialogue with the companies at this point. It's a very sensitive subject for them. We still think the motivation is there. We think GE would be a huge potential buyer. Of these assets, they have a big, fifteen billion dollar plus uh, oil and gas segment already. They're just getting five billion from the sale of the appliances to hire, which got approved today from Justice. But frankly, it's taken longer than we thought, and people that we told to get in when the spread was eight, nine, ten bucks, it's now out to eleven or twelve. We have we have egg on our face. We we have to admit it.
3: Since you're in the business of assessing regulatory approval. I have to ask what everyone is talking about these days the 2016 presidential election. Have you thought at all about what I mean regulatory approval is tied very much honestly to the politics of the regulators that are involved. So the Obama administration's regulatory group, you know, has tended to perhaps take a stricter look than, you know, maybe a more open free market president theoretically could. Have you thought about what the regulatory bodies will look like under let's say Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton?
4: We have. And, and uh, it's very hard for us to uh, look in a crystal ball politically. We're no better than anybody else doing that. I don't know any, anybody who's good. What we are more concerned about is this the Trump idea of tariffs, trade wars. China's unfair. Mexico's unfair. I'm not going to get into the details of it. But many of the S and P 500 companies generate more than 50 percent of their revenue from foreign earnings or export sales into those economies. We believe that if Trump, if he wins the nomination, and can beat the Democratic candidate, probably Hillary, uh, the market is going to start to get nervous about the impact on profits, and the market's going to get tentative. And when the boardrooms get tentative, even if it's not justified. M&A collapses.
3: Is there any deal currently in the market that you are particularly focused on or interested in, or could you think you know still go one way or, or another from whether or not it's completed?
4: We're fascinated by the two insurance deals, Cigna going with Anthem and Aetna's acquisition of Humana. And unfortunately, we just we can't get ourselves to where we have a definitive conclusion one way or the other. You have tremendous headline risk here. You could have Hillary come out at some point this spring or summer and say, we don't need these uh, insurance mergers. We should investigate them. What are you going to do? The spread's going to widen. So we've been trading this, advising people to trade the spreads when they get wide and then take the deal off when they get narrow. Several states have already approved the um, Aetna-Humana combination. But, you know, you're going from five big providers down to three. Interestingly enough, if you add up all the membership of those five companies, it's still only about 60% of total healthcare enrollment. There are a lot of regional companies out there, that, like Kaiser and Emblem in New York, that people don't know about or think about because they're not publicly traded. So that, that gives me comfort that maybe something could be worked out. But I'm not ready to stand up on a podium and say, set these things up. When Cigna spread gets out to 40 or more, and it was 42 uh, several weeks ago, You put it on. Now it's 31. You take it off. You made 11 points. And that's, in my game, that's a living. Humana got out to over 40 points the other day. And I I think at some point, you put these things on. They're not going to get called off right away. There's not going to be justice opposition for a while. We roll through the various states. You read the documents. And there's very good antitrust information available, again, through the state insurance internet sites. But those deals are troublesome to us because we just can't get to the point where they're going to block it or it's going to go through.
3: And just so that uh, our listeners understand, when you say put it on, are you saying you want to go long the target?
4: No, long the target and short, and the, short buyer. the buyer. Right. Putting on the spread Putting means the you're spread. wearing the spread. And it. so it pulsates. It's like an accordion. So if I put it on at 42 and I take it off at 35, I've made seven points. Now, seven points on a $130 stock is not great, but if I can do it in a month or two, my annual rate of return is in the 20s or 30s. That's the other thing about merger ARB. It's annual return, and so the shorter the time period, the better the return, and that's why the clock is the deadly killer of merger ARB players.
3: Another topic I'm sure you have opinions on that's come up before in this podcast, is the idea of inversions? Uh, you know, these companies going to other, let's say, U.S. domiciled companies, wanting to get out of the U.S. so that they can pay lower taxes and domiciling themselves in foreign countries. And I'm curious, uh, do you feel like inversions are just going to keep continuing? Maybe even through the next presidential administration, or are we coming to potentially the end of the wave? Of inversions.
4: I think we have to watch the uh, Pfizer one now that's, that's out Hallerkin. there. Yeah, because I think that's the one that's got the high profile target on its back. We, Again, we don't see any, you know, we read all the treasury bulletins and all the public information that's out there and we don't see that they have enough to really kill it. And so if Pfizer can pull that off, it's a multi-billion dollar transaction. Huge. It'll possibly motivate other ones. And Congress is going to have to step in and change the law. And under Republican House and Senate, I don't see that unless we get a really big shift to lower corporate rates as part of the package. So I would say we'll watch the Pfizer deal. If that one goes through, we're going to have more of the same until Congress acts. And we don't see Congress doing anything.
3: Tom Burnett, Vice Chairman and Director of Research at Wall Street Access. Thanks for joining
4: us, Tom. Thank you for having us.
1: So that's it for this episode of Deal of the Week. Hope you enjoyed it. You can expect more Bloomberg reporters and m professionals who are doing deals real-time. Hopefully, with Alex Sherman gone, you still had a worthwhile podcast. You can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. And take a minute to rate and review the show while you're there. Again, we can be found on Twitter. Alex is at Sherman4949. Ed is at Ed, H-A-M-M-O-N-D-N-Y. And I'm at J-C-M-C-C-R-A-C-K-E-N. Thanks again. Hope you have a great day.
0: Put knowledge to work and grow your business with CIT. From transportation to healthcare to manufacturing, CIT offers commercial lending, leasing, and treasury management services for small and middle market businesses. Learn more at CIT.com. Put knowledge to work.